Hi, uh, today we have a special guest, the author of the book, A Story of Karma, and I have a copy right here. Um, I've read most of it and it is fascinating. So um, welcome to Arash's World, Mike Shaw. Uh, it's great to have you here. And uh, I'd like you to start off with just uh, a few uh, sentences about yourself, who you are, what you do, anything else you'd like to share. Mm, yeah, no, thank you, Arash. And, and first of all, thank you for having me on your show here. It's, it's a great pleasure to be here. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, just a little bit about me. So I was born and raised on the West Coast of Canada. And um, for anyone who knows the West Coast, we've got mountains, ocean, lots of nature. So that was really important, a really important part of um, when I was growing up, because um, nature became sort of, um, you know, part of me, so to speak, you know, I was very familiar with the terrain, it was always, you know, I was always enjoying to get out there in the mountains or the you know, the, uh, the trails and that sort of thing. So, so I've kind of made that a very uh, focal point of my life, just growing up and whether I was working on my career and later got into to the world of business and, um, and I've always had a passion for, for writing. Uh, we can get into that, but uh, yeah, just wrote and published this book, A Story of Karma, which is about a journey into the Himalaya. Uh, my wife and I took back in 2012 and uh, the nine years that followed that as we, um, we met this little girl in a remote mountain village and, and totally changed uh, everybody's life, uh, hers and, and ours. Uh, so we can talk about that. But, um, but yeah, no, just I, I love the, the outdoors. I love the mountains. I love mountain climbing. Um, I love, I'm passionate about writing and sharing stories. And, uh, and yeah, hopefully we can talk about some of that, uh, that here today. Yeah, it's a, it's a great book, and what uh, I'm fascinated with is your your attitude towards things, your resilience, your <laughs> your passion, and it's like I'm reading through those lines, and I think, oh my god, like I can imagine what it's like to be in those deserted areas and the lost valley. It sounds pretty, pretty, pretty scary on its own, and just in the middle of nowhere, and the way you just push through and keep going after your your passion, your dreams. And what do you think drives you towards that? What is the the drive here? Okay. Yeah, yeah, well, that, that one specifically there. Um, well, first of all, Nepal, I guess we can talk about Nepal. Um, it had always been a part of, uh, like for some reason, I, I felt this really strong draw to go there since I was very young. And I remember one uh, Christmas, my sister, sister, she gave me this Lonely Planet book called Trekking in the in the Himalaya. And I remember get, it was like the best Christmas present I'd ever received. I remember tearing it open and just like tearing through the pages faster than I could than read anything and, and just seeing the pictures of the people and the culture and the places, the mountains. Um, and I just remember thinking that I wanted to run out of the house um, with this lonely planet. But I was still in my pajamas, but just run over to Nepal at once. Um, but it wasn't until many years later that that we actually got there till I was in my early 30s. But um, but yeah, this this particular area we went to um, because part of the reason about Nepal was that it was so such a dear place to me. I, even though I'd never been there, I just felt this close connection. But I didn't want to go somewhere where everybody else was going. So one day we sat down with this uh, this one friend. He'd been trekking over there for for twenty years and into some of the most obscure places in the Himalaya, and uh, and and I was sharing with him about my passion and. And uh, he said, you know, Mike, I got to tell you about this little place. I got to tell you about this lost valley of Narfu. And this was back in 2011. And this valley had literally just been opened up to the outside world a few years before that. Um, before that, it had been totally closed off. Um, so people weren't allowed to go in there. And it's very, as you mentioned, it's very far into the mountains, um, several days away from the nearest road. There's no electricity in there. Uh, the people in there at that time, while well, they're still semi-nomadic, um, but yeah, no access to outside information, to news, internet, that sort of thing. Um, not even any toilets at that time. So, so very, you know, self-sufficient and, and they've been kind of, uh, you know, living the same way that they've been living for hundreds of years, right? So, um, so anyway, when he was telling me about this, I thought, this is the place. Um, this is the place that we should go to. And, and my wife, she kind of felt it as well. And, uh, and so Mick, our friend there, he, he told us about now how the valley, because it had just been opened, um, that it was going to be experiencing some unprecedented change, um, just with more people now going in there and, and some of the villagers now coming out uh, more and trading more. Um, so, so we thought, well, let's put together a little team of artists. We'd have a, uh, you know, we ended up getting a, a musician and uh, a, a nature photographer and a nature artist. And we thought, okay, well, we can capture 
sort of these through our, our unique artistic lenses, these different scenes and sort of observe and learn from the people um, before things change too much. And so that was kind of the intention that we went in there with. And then I came across this, um, this picture of this pyramid looking mountain. It was like a white pyramid that just was coming out of the earth. And, and as a mountaineering fanatic, I thought, you know, I have to, uh, I have to go and try and find this mountain and try and climb it. And so, yeah, so that was kind of the inception of the of the whole thing. Mm, absolutely. So one of the things that you mentioned here, something I'm very interested in myself, is that the tradition versus modernity. And this seems to be a, a kind of a conflict. And I can sense it as I'm reading through your lines. There is like one part, we want to preserve the cultures. We want to preserve their lifestyle. But there's another part of it. We want to modernize it. We want to help them. We want to give them access to the benefits we have in the modern world. So mm -hmm. what, what would you say here? Because there are some who are extreme on one side. They're very traditional, the village elders. We don't want any change, even though everything, the world around us is changing. And then others who just might have gone too fast and say, okay, let's just uh, give up our traditions and do something completely new. So what is your impression? And I sense there is a bit of a conflict there. You know, you're trying to figure out what's the best balance or what can we do about that? Yeah, yeah. And that was definitely a major theme over the years, over the next sort of eight, nine years as we as we grew our relationship with um, with this family there in the Valley. And, and I think it's it's something that not only are they experiencing there, but it's it's being experienced in many different areas around the world. Um, as we kind of, you know, the modern world keeps encroaching into every area around the world as we speak, right, into these remote valleys as well. And, and with that comes a lot of pluses. I mean, you know, they're able to, uh, to get more health care, um, they're able to get electricity, more information, that sort of thing. They have, um, I mean, if I fast forward now, nine years later from the first time we went in there, they have a cell phone tower now. Um, they have, um, you know, greenhouses. Uh, you know, in, but um, but at the same time, there is this conversation that it shouldn't happen in a way that it sweeps them up, um, where they where they're now they they've kind of lost their control over who they are, so to speak, their cultural identity. So it should happen in a way where they retain control of their values, of their cultural values, and and what sustained them for you know, for hundreds of years, right? What's made them who they are. I mean, there's this one uh, uh, passage I put in there. Actually, I was reading a lot of Wade Davis, who's also from Vancouver here. Um, at the time, you know, back in 2012, I was, I was researching a lot into what he was saying. And, and he was literally talking about how in our lifetime, we are at risk of seeing half the world's cultures disappear. Um, and with them, their languages, you know, their legacies, uh, their stories. And so I, I thought, you know, what does that mean when... Um, when a culture disappears, when, when we've seen languages disappear, um, you know, when you have that kind of wisdom that's been accumulated over, over hundreds of years, just sort of gone, um, you know, what does that mean for us as a human race? And, 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 and what does it mean when, um, when a lot of our differences, you know, when we start to, you know, if our differences are our strengths, what does it mean when we become more homogenized, right, as a, as a human culture? So, so all these things were kind of floating around and as it related to this little village and, and the people there and you know who a lot of them want again the progress but they want it in a way where again they can sort of retain who they are um so which i think is is very very important yes and it's not a black and white issue where it's like we do this or we do that what i like and something that we have in common i've been fascinated with buddhism since I was young, since I was in my teens. And there's some parts of your book are just like fascinating for me, where it's just like, oh yeah, that's exactly how I feel about things. Especially when you have the monk KP who's talking about the robe and it says mm -hmm. like, well, if we switch robes, then uh, that does not make you necessarily the Buddhist monk and me uh, a Westerner. It's just like, it's basically all these things that are superficial, but deep inside that a lot of us are Buddhists, even though we don't know it. And oh, we may not know it. And in my case, I was always fascinated. I said, I want to live in a monastery I, when I was younger in my teens. And then I said, no, why? I can do the same where I'm living. I don't have to be in a specific place. It helps, of course. I mean, you get inspired and everything, but you can do it anywhere, basically. Yeah. And one of the things about Buddhism is, too, if we think about tradition and modernity, 
they would say pretty much, and if, if I'm wrong, correct me, they would say, go with the time. We have to adapt to time. Things change. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. there is loss. It's very unfortunate. But then there's many good things coming our way. And I feel currently we're just like making like leaps uh, uh, forward with what's happening in our world with technology. And mm-hmm. it's just been like such a big jump all of a sudden. And we feel it. We're startled by it. But then we're adapting to it and we're saying, this is good. You know, there are bad things mm. about it, but this is also very good. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like always sort of, you know, that that pluses and minuses sort of weighing them out. Like, well, okay, well, what does it mean? And, and you know, and obviously we're benefiting from it. We're deriving value for ourselves mm. and for others. And um, and at the same time, it's like, well, what does that mean for us in terms of who we are? And mm. and I think, um, I think, yeah, I mean, that, that conversation with KP was very fascinating because... Um, and, and first of all, the setting that we were in when we were having that conversation, we were sort of going up this mountain trail towards this monastery, something out of you know, classic you know, image of what, you know, talking with this Buddha, Buddhist monk and, um, and, uh, and near one of the, the, the supposed places where a reincarnation of Buddha was himself. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was a very special time, a very special place. And, and uh, yeah, no, KP he said something interesting because we oftentimes we, we have this view of the way something we think something should be or someone should be and then we kind of build this story around that right so we, we have this preconceived notion and then that's the basis of our story but he said you know like like you mentioned um you know if he was wearing my my jeans and t-shirt and i was wearing his robe like would that really change who we are <laughs> you know? exactly. um, <laughs> so yeah no and, and it's fascinating um you reminded me of uh of one of the points that um that car so the little girl we met in the village you know, back in 2012, her name is Karma and, and, and their family. Um, and her dad said to me once that he's like, you know, because we were talking about education and how important education is for his girls and how, how that opens up choice and, and allows them to dream bigger. And uh, he said to me once that, um, you know, he never wants them to, to forget where they're from. He never wants them to forget uh, their village and, and their dharma, their way of being. Um, and at the same time, he really appreciates this idea of what we're doing for the girls like we're kind of co-parenting uh, together you know his their parents and uh, and Chantal and I and, and he appreciates that because he thinks that we can help them sort of into this new world you know farther and faster as things go but um, but the point was is that um, you know to always examine right you know to not just take everything uh, for face value that everything's better here no no it's like you know like examine it, you know, what, what does this really mean for me? And, and what value does this really have? I'm not just going to think that this is better. I'm not, you know, like to KP's point, like don't, don't just look at something and then build a story around it, you know, just look at it and, and make up your own mind of, mm-hmm. of what you want to see as, 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 as good or, or as not so good um, out of this. So I think that's very important as we kind of continue to move forward here. And in, in, in many ways, we embody the culture we grow up in, we're from, and so on. So there, I, what I really like is also coincidences that happen throughout in your book and in your life, I would assume, where you, you were surprised of seeing connections, but then at the same time, it doesn't really surprise you because you say, this is serving a meaning. This is like pushing me in a certain direction. And just to build on those coincidences, I actually... Um, I lived in Germany. I grew up in Germany. Oh no! <laughs> one of the cities I was in is is called Monheim, which is about half an hour away from Solingen, where your your father is. So when you mention these places, I said, "Oh my God!" You know, like and just the fact that we're also both here. Um, we're in Vancouver. You were in Vancouver, and it's just amazing to read about these places. It's like, yeah, this is this is where I live. You have a picture of it. It's really close to my home, and so that is just fascinating. Where we are from different places at the same time. There are all these coincidences, connections that we have with each other. Oh, I love that, Arash. Yeah, no, <laughs> these synchronicities, right? And I think, yeah. um, I think you know, one of the things that I found, and it, it started happening. Well, it started happening earlier on, but I noticed it particularly in the mountains in the Himalaya there, when I was at that sort of that crossroads of, you know, heading towards that pyramid mountain. This is the dream. This is you know, kind of you know, what I've been thinking about, what I've been dreaming about for a lot of my life um, has become to the point where it's become part of my own identity. And yet, uh, and yet, um, you know, everything around me is kind of guiding me in a different direction. And I think, you know, how often do we find ourselves in that kind of metaphorically in that kind of crossroads where, you know, we might have something so tantalizingly in front of us, which is something that we think that we should be doing. um, 
And at the same time, it feels like, no, maybe that's not the right way. And I think the more we kind of tune in or fine tune into, um, you know, to our, our, our authentic self, you know, our true self and, and sort of make decisions more from that uh, starting point rather than always from our mind, so to speak, yeah. or our ego or whatever we want to call it. I think that's when we start to notice um, exactly like you're saying, we start to notice these little synchronicities, these little kind of alignments, uh, almost like, um, you know, puzzle pieces that are clicking together in a way. Uh, that they're meant to go together and and um and so i think the more even though we can't necessarily see you know when i was in the middle of the mountains i didn't know where they were guiding me i didn't know where things were guiding me um, and that they would guide me to the most meaningful experience of my life um but i just had to choose to trust in it at that time right so um so i think oftentimes we um yeah, we get so caught up, especially in our modern world here, we get so caught up in the thinking where, you know, okay, you know, we have to have a plan, we have to have like, you know, a goal, and we have to, you know, work towards this certain expectation, and, and you kind of work backwards and say, okay, well, in order to get there, I got to do this, 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 and try and retain, retain control all the time, right? Whereas, you know, how oftentimes are we truly in control of our lives like that? <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that's amazing because we, we have this push and we have, which is the ego kind of pushing us in the direction. And uh, your push was to get to that pyramid mountain. And there's a bit of a spoiler here, but you don't get to that spot. <laughs> and, um, sorry for the spoiler. But what is for me was fascinating that you didn't. Because mm -hmm. there is like part of you, your, your authentic self, and I agree, completely agree with that, that said, no, even though you want this, this is not what you want. Yeah, this is <laughs> not, not what for you. you. Really want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and yeah. I've noticed that with intuition, where a lot of cases, I don't know why, but I know this is the right way. And it seems like the wrong path. And it's like, kind of like, okay, this seems like the worst thing I can do. But something deep inside tells me it is the right thing to do. And it's only days, weeks, months later, I realized, yes, this was the right path or something mm. that strikes us and it's a tragedy and you say, I lost my job. This is the worst thing that could happen to me. And then you realize, no, this happened because now something better is coming into focus. So mm. it, it's just fascinating how that works. And one of the things with intuition is as a, as a child, we know what we want to do. In many cases, mm. we have yeah. our vocation, but then uh, there are parents who tell us, maybe dissuade us not to take that path. There's our society, our teachers, our peers, and we go astray, we get lost. And one of my childhood uh, things that I love to do was writing. So oh, wow. when yeah. you talked about that, and I said, <laughs> I in grade two, I wrote my first story and I was proud of it. And it was in a language that I had just learned, which was German wow. at the time. And, um, and people around me encouraged me, but then they was like, well, writer, you don't make money. It's not gonna pay for anything. And then I, I went another path, but it's always part of me always coming back to it. It's like something you can't get rid of. It's like, this is you and your authentic mm. self is like breaking through. It's like, no, no, no. You don't want to go this other path. You want to go the right path. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I, I think I think it's absolutely right. And it kind of reminds me of this idea of intention versus goals, right? Because um, goals are like, almost like fixated in time. And sometimes, you know, obviously we need to have the goals, but I think what's important is that you know, instead of having that as the driving force, you know, having the intention as the driving force, because, you know, the intention is, is fluid, it's adaptable, it's kind of, you know, you'll, you'll kind of, um, you know, as you go down that path towards whatever that objective is, you know, you'll be able to sort of adapt, you know, depending on what happens in the environment. And I think, um, I think, we're, whereas with a goal, it's just kind of very sort of moment in time. And, and it's fixed from, you know, the lens you had when you said it, which could have been, you know, weeks or even years before that, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it's important not to get too locked into, into that one expectation, because that's where kind of the, I, I guess the suffering happens when the expectation of not meeting the goal um, and the reality, you know, that gap is where, is where suffering happens. So I think whereas an intention kind of allows us to say, okay, well, you know, how is my life adapting? Um, and, and is it really... You know what is the why behind the goal like is this really something that's still important um i think the why whether we're not even whether we do it or not but i think the why behind it is the most important thing and and so yeah when i was uh kind of you know if you think about when we set that intention back in 2011 and to go into this lost valley um the the intention was to have a deep human connection uh, to connect back with the people, with ourselves, right? Yeah. Um, to find, you know, to uncover that depth. Um, and then the mountain was just kind of a, 
a piece of my identity or what I thought was a piece of what I should be doing um, coming from my, my small self, so to speak. Right. The, the goal was sparked by um, whatever it was sparked by, you know um, but the intention was about the depth of connection. So because we had set that intention of human connection, it's funny how that actually came about more than I could have ever dreamed of. But in the meantime, or in the midst of it, the goal was actually crushed. Right. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was devastating at the time, but it actually wasn't. It was actually a huge blessing. So yeah, um, looking at things in perspective, you know, it's mm -hmm. a bigger picture that slowly comes into focus. It evolves, but we don't realize it in the moment. So not to despair. It's like, it yeah, didn't work out. And it's uh, I like in Buddhism, they say mountains are mountains then they're not mountains and then they're <laughs> mountains again. So it's right. that kind of shift where you say, yeah, of course, you know, everything falls into place and makes sense. One of the things you mentioned, and I've been like dealing with myself recently, um, is the idea of past lives. Now, mm -hmm. I, I watched um, a program called Surviving Death on Netflix, and uh, one of the episodes deals with that. And it had compelling proof for me that said, you know what, it's quite possible that we lived in another lifetime, in another place, and so on. And just to give an example, when I went to, um, when I went to Venice for the first time, mm. I said, this place looks familiar. I've been here before. And it was just this intuition again, this strong sensation. And I felt the same way in Paris, but I've traveled around the world and no other place has had that reaction. I've had that reaction was missing when I went to these new places. And I can't explain why. I mean, it's not just I saw it in the movies. There was like, this looks very familiar to me. So mm. could that have been a past life? And uh, what are your thoughts on that? I, I, yeah, I believe so. Like, it's almost like a deep knowing, right? It's like beyond sort of our mind, but just like almost like that familiar sense that, okay, like something out of childhood or something that you know that this is part of or been part of your life in some way or part of a past life. And, and I think, you know, I mean, if we think about, um, I don't like these dissecting these things too much, but, you know, if we think about how energy and, and, and you know, kind of transcends our, our physical body so to speak right so so our soul if we believe in that um or our energy is made our souls are made out of energy so you know it's it's show us science no, shows us that energy transcends energy just transfers so i think it's natural to think that well um you know maybe maybe that somehow corresponds to to our you know to our, our sense of being on some level right um and if we've had these very deep experiences and connections in past lives you know why wouldn't that somehow transfer in some way to 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 another reincarnation mm -hmm. uh, of, of of a life so yeah i i think it's um again i try not to overthink it but i, I think it you know you i think we should pay attention to those those feelings um and when they come up you know just try and honor them in some way whatever that means but you know not to just disregard them and we shouldn't get obsessed about it. I mean, in that program, there are these kids who have these, like, uh, they remember things from previous lives, and they, they are giving, like, details that they couldn't have known. It's, like, impossible to have known at their age, especially. And so I, I do think there is something to it, but then we don't want to get obsessed with it. For me, it's not that important. Who was I? What happened to me in a previous life that, that mm -hmm. existed? It's more about explaining certain things because I, I grew up in a family where uh, I'm very different from everyone else. I have uh, two brothers and we have, we don't have much in common genetically, of course, our looks and everything, some of our character. But apart from that, I'm so different. And I always like felt like I was adopted maybe. It was something different because I like classical music, for example. I like books. I like things that mm. nobody <laughs> around me, nobody in my family liked and mm. even people around me. So I would have to like, when I was a teen, I would like try to figure out, okay, who's this REM? Who is Rage Against the Machine? I have to listen <laughs> to those songs. So then I can have a conversation because you can't talk about Brahms, Brahms and Beethoven. Like they have no idea. So yeah. I felt very isolated in that sense, but again, a deep connection with something that had nothing to do with my culture. Mm. So mm. I'm wondering if that is perhaps some sort of past life that is like, kind of remnants of it that is pushing in a certain direction. I, I think so. I mean, you know, if you think about, um, yeah, similarly, uh, that I, I had never been to Tibet or to the northern part or even to Nepal, for that matter, or to that part of the Himalaya. And yet, um, you know, uncovered that deep connection with the little girl there, uh, seven-year-old girl, Karma. Um, you know, we just kind of in between, actually, it was between all three of us, Chantal and me and her, and then her family and her little sister, Pemba, um, just kind of 
where did that come from? Right. I mean, it just didn't come out of thin air. You know, it was, it wasn't something that, I mean, we had seen hundreds of kids before, you know, encountering them. Um, and yet it was kind of like, okay, well, there was something markedly different and, and something, you know, almost familial that we recognized in each other, not physically recognized, but just this energetic recognition again, this deep knowing. And, and, um, and I guess, yeah, I mean, you know, we could have, um, we, if I was in a different space, we could have just said, okay, well, that was interesting and just walked our separate ways. But, um, but I think that would have been doing a disservice to, to everybody. And, um, and that's why I say, you know, honoring it, whatever that means, like taking action, taking some sort of action around, you know, opening it up more, not again, like you're not to, not, as your point, um, you know, not that we need to like iron out, okay, I was, you know, this person in this century and like doing this. No, no, it's like about more about, okay, well, if that's a piece of who I am, how am I going to reflect that in my life going forward? And I think that's, that's an important uh, part. So, you know, because we all chose to do that, because we kind of had the courage um, to listen to that language of the heart, then we could start coming together as, as a family, as two families coming together, transcending continents and cultures. And it's when you, when you click with somebody and it's when you have, like, call it chemistry. And I mean, it's, it's something that could maybe explain it. That could be like the underlying reason. We don't understand it. But again, like you say, I think really honor it and say, okay, well, this makes sense. It does make sense though, but it makes sense on a different level, which is uh, again, probably much more important, much deeper than, than what we perceive. And, and there's, that's something that I see in Pakmat culture that I, I find. And that one of the things when you travel and live in different places, you're bitten by the travel bug and it's, I, I'm a constant nomad and I feel mm. like no, I'm nowhere at home. Mm. And that's just because culturally uh, I, I'm different and like from my experiences, from my taste and music yeah, yeah. and all that. And it's in a way it is uh, not a good feeling, but then at the same time, it's also very encouraging. And um, the problem is when you travel and go out of your comfort zone and you see all these other places, you see the pluses and minuses like you were explaining. And you will never, and I, I don't know if you share with me that, that feeling, you never feel completely at home. There's always mm -hmm. like, you know, this could be better if they had this over here, but this, and then you see the failings and you see the strengths, but it's just like, it, you don't have a specific home. Yeah, yeah, I, I think, yeah, it's, and it's, um, it, it does create a lot of questioning and questions uh, and, uh, and kind of, you know, it kind of, it's a good reflection. Every time I go somewhere new like that, it almost teaches me how much I don't know, right? You know, that there's, um, I think I might know something, but then I really don't. Um, by experiencing something like that, it you know, it kind of takes the blinders off, right? Um, so even though I think the more we experience and the more we see and the, you know, the, 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 the more we, we kind of develop even relationships with people from different walks of life, um, yeah, maybe we'll never truly understand uh, their story, where they're coming from. But I think by, by going out there and, and, and sort of stepping outside of our comfort zone, and, and making the effort to, uh, to understand why things are the way they are and why others are the way they are. Um, I think it, it allows us to actually not only understand them better, but it actually allows us to understand ourselves better. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and again, take off those, those blinders. And, and by doing so, you know, we can make better decisions um, in our communities and, and for ourselves. And, and so I think it's very important to, you know, it doesn't have to mean necessarily traveling overseas all over the place, but like, even in our own backyards, are there people we can talk to? Are there communities that we can experience um, just with an open mind, right? Just without bringing some sort of pre-judgment um, to it. And I think there's a lot of judgment flying around these days, right? Um, yeah, and, and a lot of these nationalistic movements. And I'm thinking like, to me, it doesn't make any sense because you can't say like my country is better than your country because mm. country is a concept. And it's just like, you can't, it's not a living being. We, it's something that influences us in many ways, but also in different ways, because when going to different places, I have like this view of, of other people and other cultures. And my wife is Mexican. So I have like oh, access wow. to a completely different culture. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And, and some of it is fascinating, I accept. And some of it I reject. I, I see it the same way as with religion. I'm like fascinated by various religions, but it's like mm. this part of your religion, I don't like this part of Buddhism. I don't like, but this part I like. And then it's like, I get a mishmash of things that uh, nobody else believes in. So it's, yeah, it, yeah. It's, 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 but to me, it makes sense. And some things you can't just decide 
this is the one path, my religion yeah. is the correct one, and everybody else is wrong. I, I see the connections. They're all the same. It's just a different viewpoint. You know, you're seeing it from a different angle. Yeah, but yeah. In yeah. the end, it's the same. Yeah, I think it goes back to that point about, you know, just not you know, just examining things, right? I mean, I, somebody once said to me, you know, whatever I say to you is actually this, um, this Buddhist Lama, this monk, he said, okay, whatever I say to you, don't just take it as a piece of gold, right? Mm -hmm. Don't just think, okay, everything I'm saying is a piece of gold. Um, just look at it and question it, just examine it. Um, you know, maybe it's not, maybe some of what I'm saying, you know, exactly to your point, maybe it doesn't align with you, maybe it doesn't resonate. But um, but take the opportunity at least to mm -hmm. to to examine and uh, and then to question and and to ask the why you know again why do I feel that way about something that somebody said I think you know rather than just jumping to a conclusion right uh, or trying to label something right you know it's it's about well yeah why is my mind jumping to that um, and I think that can kind of uncover a lot uh, about ourselves that that perhaps I mean we don't know what we don't know about ourselves right so you know I think the more we we have that examining nature I think the more we can um, we can learn about you know why it is that we are the way we are and how we are really we are well off here in the in, in our places and we take it for granted but it's not the same and things like electricity things like running water and so on every day we have it and it's just like no big deal for us but then so many cultures in, in, in mexico i saw that too where they don't have it they don't have access to it and uh, the idea of poverty well, I, I think there was like uh, they had a program where they sent uh, some homeless people from from Vancouver, I think, to uh, uh, poorer countries in Latin America. And mm. they said these homeless people in Canada were privileged. They said, oh, my God, you guys are really poor. You know, it's like there's like levels yeah. of it. It's like extreme, extreme poverty. And, and and we are lucky. I mean, not to not to minimize feelings of poverty and so on in our place, but we are still very, very fortunate. And I don't mm -hmm. think a lot of us really realize that we just take it for granted. Yeah, no, I think so. And, I, you know, if I go back to that first time we were in that little village up at 14,000 feet in the mountains in the Himalaya, uh, meeting Karma and, and, you know, she, like, they didn't even have any books up there, right? Other than the scriptures in the monastery. And there was no means, again, because they didn't have electricity, internet or anything like that. And people didn't, you know, you couldn't easily just go down to a, another town and, and back up. I mean, they're days away from the nearest, you know, town. So, you know, so even by nature of that, I mean, not having exposure to to books, uh, you know, how much do we take that for granted, you know, having, you know, let alone, you know, the, the internet, but having the local library, uh, access to information, right, um, I think is, is a huge, um, a huge benefit. And so I remember the first day we took, uh, Karma got, she got into this school uh, in Kathmandu, and which was started by, I mean, that's a whole other story, but started by this, uh, this Lama who fled Tibet, because it was very important um, for us to work with the parents and find a school that was in alignment with her culture, like her, her um, cultural roots. And um, because, you know, Nepal, it's got so many different cultures coming together. So we needed to, uh, we wanted to find something that was sort of Tibetan aligned. And so we found that one school that was started by that Tibet, Tibetan Lama. Um, and, uh, and I remember the first day we brought her to the school and Chantal and I were kind of standing in the doorway. Um, and she just had like a like a stack of books just plopped down on her desk. Uh, and then the teacher was, you know, this was the first day the teacher was still trying to get organized and, and all the kids were there, you know, kind of chatting and whatnot. But Karma, you could see her, she immediately opened the book, the first book and started, you know, turning through the pages, almost trying to absorb everything as fast as she could, uh, as though her world was just growing through each page, you know, of, of, of information that was there, right? Um, and I thought, wow, you know, that's kind of when it clicked for me too about, just the access to knowledge, um, you know, how many of us take that for granted? Yeah, in, in, in our um, in our school, in elementary school in, in Germany, they had a, school, a library bus that would show up every Friday for a few hours. And it, it was just a bus like full of books. And I would go there, I would love it. It would just be the, the best thing I, I would do. Like uh, I would wait, uh, count the days till Friday and say, yes, I go to get like five books from this school <laughs> yeah. bus library and stuff. And, and, I, and I enjoyed it. I had access to these books. And then I see all these younger people who are surrounded by books, but they are not 
accessing it. And then there's the other idea of here in, in Vancouver, which I found startling, is the liquor store opens before the library does. <laughs> so it's like, oh, what are our priorities? You know? like, why does the liquor store open before them? So it's, I, I don't know, like I, in Mexico, there was a guy who um, loved books. Um, he didn't have access to them. So what he would do is he would find these books in Portuguese and he says, oh. It's pretty close in terms of reading. I understand 70% of it in terms of reading. And and I felt like sorry for him. It's like, why why don't you have access to these great books? Why can't you? You know, and it just mm. seems wrong. Where we're like throwing away stuff or not acknowledging it. And others are yeah. just like looking through the dirt to find something, a piece of like gold for them. And yeah, yeah. We have this abundance of um, yeah, we have this abundance of material wealth over here, right? And yeah. uh, and you know, and at the same time, it's kind of interesting because over the years, I started contrasting. You know, the more we go back to Nepal, and 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 you know, kind of our blinders would sort of, or our, our sort of our Western lenses would kind of fall away again. We'd immerse ourselves more with the culture over there, and you start to kind of realize that these. There's these very interesting, you know, fundamental differences, right? I mean, you know, at first the lens might say, oh, you know, materially we're much better off and all these things. We have healthcare. We have, you know, it was, I mean, Nepal is the third poorest country in Asia and it's the most polluted city in the world by air pollution. So, so there is that and it's in your face. But, but at the same time, um, there's incredible beauty, uh, you know, even up in the villages, in the mountains where, where uh, you know, they're just trying to survive up there. There's this incredible mindfulness or, or this deep emotional intelligence that um, that I haven't necessarily seen over here exactly right so it's almost like um, yeah again you know what we're rich in perhaps they're rich in other ways yes. right you know where we have deficits you know um, perhaps they have an abundance over there of, of, of something else right so I think it's uh, it's important to kind of recognize that that one place isn't you know the be all and end all of everything it's just you know there's different ways we can learn from each other and it's surprising that the poor are not greedy it's the rich who are greedy and <laughs> when uh, when i found that out too in mexico there's these people who are very very poor but they would still be friendly they would still invite you over they still give you food and even though they have nothing but most importantly they were happy they were happy with whatever they had and I don't see it here as much in, in Western culture, where we just like, we have so much, but we're still unsatisfied. We still miss those connections, human connections that you're talking about. And I found like, okay, they would take it day by day over there in Mexico, poor people, the, the peasants and farmers and so on, but they were happy. I could, I could sense it. And it would reflect on me too and would make me feel happy too. And kind of make me feel like, well, why are we chasing money? And, and that, that was something you, you majored in before that, right? With, uh, mm. with business. And it's like, let's make money. Let's make, we want to grow capital and so on. But what for? And there's that question too in your yeah. book. It's like, yeah. what's the point of it? If I'm I think not that, happy, yeah. satisfying me. Yeah, no, that, that's a very important point because I think, um, you know, when we think about money, I mean, I look at it as another energetic flow, right? It's just a you know, means of transacting and, and, um, you know, it's almost in a way uh, like anything. I mean, like you know, we could relate it to yoga for that matter, you know, where we place the intention behind it is where it will flow. Um, so I think, you know, I think where the mistake happens is where, you know, where we start to look at money as, as an end, you know, versus a means, right? Because then that will change the relationship and it will change the decisions of, um, you know, how you, 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 how money, you, how you look at it in your life. So I think um, I think looking at it as a means is is very important. Uh, means to what though? But that allows you to ask that question again. Okay, why am I driving towards? Like, what am I using this for? Um, you know, what is meaningful in my life, right? I mean, if I think about everything in my room or right where I'm sitting right now, um, it has no monetary value to anyone else. Uh, but it, you know, the meaning, the stories behind it are very meaningful to me, right? So why are we? You know, if that's the case, if most of what's meaningful to me has no monetary value. Why am I spending, you know, why are we spending all of our time stressing out about, you know, these things, right? Let's have more surface level. So, so I think that's a very important thing to consider. Um, but, you know, it's funny when I was thinking back to, um, to the people in the mountains, like the mountain dwellers in the Himalaya, and how they're, they're cultivating different values in a way, um, you know, and I think that will inform our decisions and the way we lead our lives. Because, for example, over here, we tend to celebrate um, the individual. So we tend to put the you know, person on the front of the magazine, whatever it is. 
Um, whereas there, they, they don't do that. They celebrate the success of the community. So that has a very different outcome. Um, another example I noticed, you know, over here, it's all about, you know, what can I accumulate? What can I get? Whereas like, you know, like you alluded to, uh, you know, in some of these other places, it's about, you know, what can I share more of? What can I give? You know, how can I help my neighbor feel more comfortable? Um, things like that, right? Uh, you know, here it's, you know, pride is a very big thing, like where we're, you know, have to boast about things and show how we, you know, we've done things. And, you know, whereas there they value humbleness, like not talk. So again, I think the way that we cultivate values will have a very different outcome in terms of how we act in our communities and, and how we choose to, um, to act. So, yeah, and, and again, you know, different values are called for different times, but, um, but I think it's an important thing to, to look at, okay, where is that leading us down the road? Like not just blindly go down the path, but like what is it actually doing for our, our, you know, our, our, our communities and, and the world as, you know, and then ourselves. And, you know, I think a lot of mental illness we find in the West um, is a result of, of, you know, how we're cultivating the values that we have here. It's built around success, but success is seen as, as having money. And that's that's really the sole fact that like I am successful, my business is successful, not because I'm helping people, not because I'm doing something for others, but how much money did I generate? And that's and the numbers, how many people are, for example, following me or following my blog mm -hmm. and so on. A lot of people are looking at that, but then it should be the quality of it. What service am I providing? You know, how am I changing maybe a few people's lives? But I feel like that is success by itself. That's my measure of success. And mm -hmm. with money, like you say, it's 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 means, it's it's a power, but we're wasting it. There's so many people who have so much more than they would need in many, many lifetimes and for the families included and everything. And then in the end, they will die. And what happens? You know, it's mm -hmm. just like they just waste it a great opportunity that you got this money now let's use it for something yeah for what is the meaning other people happy helping them you know? yeah no for sure and i yeah it's interesting too um you know you mentioned sort of success and 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 you know success i kind of look at it in the same way as as goals versus intention right because success again i mean it's just an arbitrary moment in time are you successful at what okay well that's one moment um in, in your life right mm -hmm. um but i almost think it's more important to look at or focus on the depth of experience rather than the success of it. Because again, you know, if I'd use the mountaineering analogy again, uh, the success being standing on top of the mountain, um, there's, I could probably count on one hand, the number of times I remember being on a summit. Um, I, I, you know, again, it's just, you get up there, okay, maybe you snap a photo um, and then you kind of start descending again. But the times I remember along the way, I mean, those are the moments that 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 really shape the experience, right? So again, it's almost like, well, instead of focusing so much on the success of something, why not focus more on the depth of the experience? Because the depth of the experience is really what makes us who we are. Yeah. Um, it defines us, uh, you know, what we do between the starting point and the top of the mountain, metaphorically, that's, you know, the top of the mountain doesn't define who I am. What defines who I am is everything in between, right? So, you know, so I think that's something you raise a really good point around that. It's kind of like, you know, let's not disregard, you know, all these micro movements, these moments um, along the way, because that's what makes, you know, I, what was that quote? Um, um, you know, how we spend our time, how we spend our days, uh, is who we who we become, right? Um, so I think you know we can get caught up, especially in the Western worlds. We can so often get caught up in this one single moment in time, like oh, I got to get there, but then we miss out on all these things. And and I think that that's what would have happened um, if I was if I had that mindset in the mountains, uh, in the Himalaya back in 2012. I would have I would have just had I would have gone right by um, one of the most beautiful experiences or something that would have led to you know the most beautiful experiences of my life um and i think you know how often times are we doing that we're just blazing by something just because it doesn't fit within you know this uh arbitrary success that we have you know way out there so and, yeah and i love focus i i love being goal oriented i want to reach this but then you still have to look around you when what is around you during the journey during that mm -hmm. path and that mm -hmm. is actually the more important part than the end goal because mm -hmm. uh, in my experience whenever i had a goal and i reached it 
it would be not as satisfying as I thought it would be. And then I was like, it's a mountain. Okay, now I can go to the next mountain. That's yeah. high, you know? And it's like, yeah. it never stops. But if you just focus on the mountaintop, then you're wasting your life. You're wasting so many different experiences that you could have along the way. And yeah. as you say, that is the more important part than the end goal. The yeah. end goal is kind of setting, okay, this is my path. I know where I'm going. I might go astray and go a different way. That's I'm flexible to that. But let's also enjoy the days. That's like, okay, I want to make this much money, but let's also enjoy the, the time we have with each other. And when, when uh, all these uh, multimillionaires, when they're in, on, on the deathbed and they ask them, well, what do you remember? They, they just remember time spent with loved ones and they regret not mm. having spent enough time with them. Yeah. Right? Because of being too focused on this one thing, which is money and, and uh, fame or, and it, it's, it's, it's not important. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it even comes back down to, um, I mean, you know, if I think about my relationship with the mountains, like it's changed over the years. When I was younger, it was more about, you know, yes, I got to drive towards the summit and all that. Yeah. But, um, but now it's like, I mean, yeah, we have we set the goal, obviously, when we go out there to climb, but like, it's about who I'm with. It's about, you know, the company that I'm with and the, the depth of the experience that we have, you know, along the way. And I think that's the same for for family and, and friendships and, and, and just the people around us. I mean, you know, again, what, what are we cultivating um in our lives right like what kind of experience what kind of relationships are we cultivating what's the depth of those those relationships uh, it's not just about you know getting to an end point it's about you know okay well who are we all becoming here as individuals and as together um you know and what are we creating what are we co-creating um i think that those are the more important uh, questions to ask rather than just oh did i meet the end result here of some sort and i find currently it's like uh, the pause have been, uh, the pause button was hit basically mm -hmm. i feel like with what's going on and working from home and uh, the situation is you can't go out much with COVID and all that but i, I found a uh, my love for nature again and so i i don't go to the lost valley but i go to lost lagoon which <laughs> right, <I really laughs> went, right? And yeah. that's, that's that's hard enough for me because i before would not even get that far but now i i can walk around with my with my family and we just like are hiking much more we're more mm. in nature. I'm actually hearing the birds, which uh, I didn't, they were there kind of as background noise, but now I can actually hear them and perceive them and, and feel them, which mm. wasn't the case before. So I was deaf and blind to all this beauty that surrounds me on a daily basis. And that's become part of our daily life too now, thanks to our situation here where I have time to just reflect and think and let's do things together as a family. Let's play more board games together. And that kind of connection has mm. grown so much more thanks to this horrible virus that is uh, just destroying people's lives. But at the same time, it's the pluses mm. and minuses. And you go, nothing is just bad or good. You know? Right, you yeah. Put everything in perspective. It's a spectrum of everything in between, right? And, and I think, yeah, you're, you're right. It's almost like um, sometimes, you know, if we, if, especially if we can't change um, the physical situation that we're in, you know, maybe we're caught, like, for example, with COVID, you know, okay, everyone's self-isolated right now. Uh, we're in our homes. Um, maybe we can't do the things that we were doing before. Um, but can we change our mindset? Can we change the meaning um, that we place on whatever's happening? You know, and maybe it's not a big change. Maybe it's just a slight, you know, change of lens or change of perspective. Mm -hmm. um, and then that can, you know, that, that can change everything about the world that we live in. You know, sometimes a small mindset change is, is all we need. Uh, we don't need to like, you know, I mean, how often do we find ourselves, okay, we don't like a situation we're in. So we'll try to run, we'll try to recreate, you know, a, a totally different situation physically, right? You know, people will run away from their jobs or run away from their lives or, you know, or, or be devastated if they can't do that. But it's like, no, I mean, you know, if, if you if you don't get to the root of the issue, um, you'll just carry that with you to to wherever else you go physically, right? Yeah. But if you can't go somewhere else physically, it's like, well, sometimes it, 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 it's beneficial to look at, okay, well, is there something I can do in my own mind to change the meaning behind whatever situation I find myself in? And, uh, and when we do that, I mean, like you said, we can, we, can, we can discover the most beautiful things. And being flexible. I mean, what drives me mad is when I go traveling and people go to like fast food restaurants. Uh, tourists go there. And I, I'm thinking like, why are you doing this? You want to explore the options. You want to explore the ethnic food here. That's why you're traveling. Right. You're not traveling to recreate the experience you have at home with <laughs> air conditioner. Yeah, yeah. You're going yeah. to experience something new. 
and uh, and it's the same here with uh, when the pause button was hit here. So uh, we we couldn't go out to restaurants anymore. And uh, now uh, my wife is recreating all these foods and learning new types of food. So we are actually not missing that anymore. We actually discovered we can have it at home. And the same with technology. It's like, yes, I can have interviews with people who are either not that far away, as in your case, or really far away. And I didn't know it was possible. I didn't feel it was possible to the extent that I feel it's possible now. So yeah, like yeah. All these opportunities just suddenly like open up because mm. we had a moment to just take a breath and see yeah. things clearly. Yeah. 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 No, it's, it's funny because sometimes uh, people have asked me, they're like, well, Mike, are you sure you want to publish a book in the middle of a global pandemic? <laughs> and I said, well, you know, I mean, this is kind of the, what else would you do? What, what else? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of like, this is what we're, what we have right now. You know, I, I don't know, you know, I'm, I can't like try and wait this out or, you know, I don't want to do that. And at the same time, it's like, well, I think this is actually the perfect time to be publishing a book exactly. because, uh, you know, yeah, okay, maybe we can't go out and connect in people or in person and maybe I can't, um, you know, do like bookstore tours and that sort of thing. But, um, but you know, like you said, I mean, we're connecting now. Um, I can, you know, have meetings from my home. Um, mm -hmm. People are more used to seeing others on Zoom and, and listening to podcasts and that sort of thing. So, you know, th so things are much more efficient in that way. So, um, and I don't want to say like, you know, it doesn't obviously replace being there with somebody, but, um, but there, the point is, I guess there's, there's a lot of, a lot of value that can be derived from this at the same time. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and perhaps people that I, I've met, you know, through zoom calls and podcasts that I would not have met because I would have been busy, you know, at a bookstore or something. Um, and again, we can't really measure the impact behind those things, but, but at the same time, I think we just have to look at, okay, what are we working with right now? And what's the best I can do with what I have? Mm -hmm. And what is also fascinating for me, because I've, I've mostly read books, uh, biographies on people who are long gone and everything, or fiction or people who are not real. And just reading that, because I felt it was, it felt like fiction. It's not, mm -hmm. obviously, but it felt like reading a really good story. At the same time, it's, it's there, there are people who I could have seen down, walking down the street in my neighborhood, and it probably... <laughs> They get another coincidence, but probably were in the same room in the same cafe at some point. I didn't know that. And that just adds so much like fascination, depth to it for me, for the experience. And uh, just wonderful to be able to to talk to the author who, who went through all these things. Oh, yeah, uh, it, it's like, yeah, here he is, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's fascinating for me. And again, you don't get that sort of satisfaction with, with fiction or with, with nonfiction in general. So I, I find your um, personal experiences uh, quite fascinating too it's like you know i can relate to them in, in so many ways and again i can talk to you about them which is yeah, yeah. more fascinating yeah i know that and i think that's that that's the importance of sharing right i mean you know with whatever way whether it's through podcasts or through a book or through writing it out you know but i think it's important to share share our stories with others and it um I don't know, it creates more connection. It gets others to, 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 to kind of think more about their own lives or about what they're doing. Um, you know, maybe they learn something. Um, so yeah, I mean, part of it was, yeah, creating the art, creating the, you know, the book, but, um, but I think it, yeah, deeper reason behind it was, you know, well, if somebody can take something good away from this, this story, um, then that's a great thing. Then that's a great, you know, a, a great reason to share it. Right. So, yeah, no, I, I think, and, and, and it's almost like, it's funny how the book is taking on its own life. Right. I mean, the, the way that it's connecting me to um, to, to different people, like-hearted, like-minded people from different walks of life, it's a very beautiful thing. Yeah, that's wonderful. And um, I was just wondering here as a, as a question to you about your own culture now. Uh, there is a mix of different cultures and um, mm. um, how do you think that influences your perspective of things, of making it also more fluid, more flexible? Do you think that plays a role as well or do you think it's something else that... Uh, <laughs> makes you who you are. How yeah, you yeah, no, that's a, that's an excellent question, Naresh. I mean, I think, um, I think it happens in different ways. I mean, my, well, just to give the listeners a background. So my mom's from, from Asia. She was born in Hong Kong or born in Macau, actually grew up in Hong Kong. Uh, and my father's from Germany uh, and they met in Canada. So, um, so I kind of grew up in this multicultural household at a time um, where I grew up was predominantly white um, farming community, small town. So I stood out. I mean, now I don't really. Now everybody just looks at me as um, as as passing as white. I guess you could say. But um, but when I was young, you know, I stood out uh, a lot. You know, in the way that um, 
people would say, well, why are you always tanned? Or, or you know, why is your mom speaking like that? Um, you know, it created some challenges on the playground sometimes. And, you know, I definitely felt it, you know, in, in, in numerous different ways. But, um, but I think it also informed my, um, you know, my own way of looking at the world, like, okay, you know, why are things different, right? Why are things different uh, in one place? Like, why is my mom different than my father? Like, why are they, you know, why do they have these different cultural values, you know? Um, and it kind of, you know, got me understanding from a very young age that, yeah, that not all the whole world is like it is in one place. Uh, and to be open-minded around that. And I think that was part of maybe what bridged um, the connection to, um, you know, to our family in Nepal uh, when, when that kind of sparked, right? Just to have a more open mind maybe around that. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I think it's important to, because again, the whole world, if we look at it, um, it's not one way, right? It's not like everything is one way, um, you know, or one way is the best way. It's like, it's almost like there's all these different lenses and different perspectives, different ways of, of doing things and, and how people have done things for, for generations. And, and it's important to look at, okay, what, what can we learn from that? And, and, and again, going back to that question, like, why are things the way they are? And, and are we creating our own blind spots, right? Are we perpetuating something that's not constructive, just because that's the way we've always done it? And, and, you know, and if that's the case, we should take a deeper look at, you know, why is that? And why are we continuing to perpetuate that? And what can we do to change that, right? And I think that's very important in the context of the, the discourse that we're having today, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, the racial conversations around different races and, and, and cultural norms and things like that. So, um, so I think, yeah, I mean, growing up in a very multicultural uh, household has definitely shaped my mind. Um, I remember my climbing partner said to me, he said, Mike, you know, I really like climbing with you because you have, um, you have kind of like the strength and determination of, of, a, of, of a German, um, like the stubbornness of yeah. wanting to get up there to the top, but you have like the calmness and the patience of somebody who's like from the East, you know? So it's just, <laughs> he's like, yeah, no, it's, it's good. It's good to climb with you. So <laughs> yes, I kind yes. of always stuck with me. It gives you access to all these different parts of yourself too. And I, mm. I mean, I, I have some of that. I, I grew up in Germany. I grew up in Nuremberg actually. And um, oh, wow. when you say like standing out, I was completely standing out. <laughs> I was basically the only, it was me and this Turkish girl who stood out in our school. So, and it creates like, um, different kinds of feelings. I, ha I have I have lots of friends, but then there are other people who see me in the streets and they think like, you say, you're not German. And I say, well, I am because uh, I speak the language fluently back then. And uh, it's part of me, it's my culture. I like what you guys like too. I like soccer like you guys do. So why am I not German? Just because yeah. I look different, just because I wear different clothes, like the example of, of the Buddhist monk. And it, it just like, it was, uh, it hurts, but at the same time, you just have to, deal with it and learn from this experience mm -hmm. and now i know when people talk about these kind of experiences i can relate to that because yes i was on that side but at the same time i didn't blame them because there's stuff that i saw it's like i understand where you're coming from i understand yeah. why you're angry i don't agree with it but i understand the motivation behind it but you could deal with it if you just open your eyes more if you look around more if you think with your heart a bit more and that's not not happening you're just stuck in like a small world that is not even connected with reality yeah um, no I, I think that's an important thing to to remember i mean just because we don't agree with each other all the time doesn't mean we can't respect each other <laughs> right and, and and you know i think that that that's key i mean yeah even if we don't even even if we don't understand each other you know we can still respect each other right Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and that's why we would feel like at home in different cultures because of that mix you just like you're not just the, the German guy there is like another influence to and same as me it's not just what uh, um, I grew up with but it's also my own background my own experiences my own again uh, traveling experiences that just add up to it and we, we're molded into a unique individual like completely mm. unique in that sense and I, I think that's wonderful of, of, of being open to that and being uh, open to experiences and to growth in, in these different different ways yeah, I mean if I if I think about the, the things I learned from the two girls uh Karma and Pemba you know from that little village they spent a year here uh this was years later but um doing a cultural education exchange um you know they lived with us for a year we, I mean, we became parents overnight <laughs> to, a, to a 14 yeah. year old and a 10 year old and and again this notion of co-parenting um it was beautiful with their parents and and so uh but you know the, the things that I learned from them 
here. I mean, we're, my, our minds just expand, like their minds expanded, our minds expanded. Um, I mean, it was just, uh, it, was, it was beautiful. And, and you know, you, you kind of catch yourself. I guess that's the beautiful thing about children. They, they kind of show you your blind spots as well, right? Especially when they're from a totally different culture than your own. Um, but yeah, I remember one time, um, you know, I was cooking uh, and, and, and little Pemba, 10-year-old Pemba, she, um, she came up and she said, oh, Mike, you know, I, I want to help you cook. And I said, oh, you know, Pemba, you don't have to, you don't have to help me here. You can go play or do some art or whatever you want to do. And, and she said, oh, Mike, why don't, why don't you want me to cook with you? Uh, oh, you know what? Yeah, like, just come in here. Let's make this together. Because again, part of their value, one of their values is not only sitting down and eating, enjoying the meal together, but is in the whole way of preparing the meal together is part of the experience, right? So, I, I, you know, again, it just sort of opens your eyes to to these little nuances, um, different ways of seeing the world and and, and what's important uh, in life. And adopting what you like, what you see you like, you say, okay, uh, this is interesting. Let's try it out and maybe mm -hmm. we'll enjoy it. And how, how do we resonate with that? And if it works, then why not? You know, it's like also that idea that many have, it's like, okay, my culture is different from your culture. There's no overlap. And this is what I like about here in, uh, in, in Canada, Vancouver specifically. It's just like a mix of different cultures. So mm -hmm. immediately when I arrived here, I felt at home. The first day I was mm -hmm. in, in Vancouver was in Germany. No, because I was felt like pushed to the other side. I was the only one. And that is like, is, is, is not helping. It's not helpful, mm. that feeling. But then suddenly you come here with the open space and it just felt like, oh, okay, this is my place as well. And uh, so it's, we, we need more of that, that mix and not, not closing borders, but really like being open with others and like welcoming them and, and not segregating in different parts of the city, but just like, you know, combining them and living together and experiencing the other cultures. And so there is some here, but again, I feel even in, in Vancouver, not enough. Totally, yeah, yeah. Still yeah. segregate in their own parts. And it's like, why are you doing that? Why not, you know, just get together? Well, be a community. I, I, yeah, exactly. I, I think you're, you know, you mentioned it at the beginning um, where we create our own borders, right? We're, mm -hmm. we're creating the stories of our own countries, of our own races, our own cultures, like our own differences. Mm -hmm. We draw the lines, right? In our own mind. They're not like they're there, um, you know, before we create them in our mind. So, um, so I think, but if we can kind of look at, okay, well, maybe we should, maybe we can define ourselves as all as human beings of the earth first, <laughs> you know, why don't we start there? And then we can start, you know, rather than setting a, uh, you know, defining ourselves by, you know, by country or by race or by color or whatever, but like by religion, you know, let's just agree that, okay, well, we're all humans of the earth first of this one home that we have here floating in space. Um, let's define ourselves maybe by that first. <laughs> yeah, and, and just, just to give an anecdote that's uh, kind of amusing is um, I always liked the, uh, the Hare Krishna haircut. So when I was younger, like and this was uh, during my university years, I did, a friend told me I can give you that haircut. So what he did is just like cut off everything and I had this, this chunk of hair in the middle and he <laughs> braided it. And so I had that for a couple of weeks and it was fascinating the, the way people around me reacted to that. I mean, just walking down the street, there are some people who are appreciative, who like greeted me and, <laughs> and did this and everything. I said, okay, it's not me. It's not my belief system, but it's my haircut basically yeah. Yeah. for a moment. And others didn't like it. And they would say like swear words at me. I was like, oh. well, why? Just because of my hair. And I, my mother didn't talk to me for a couple of weeks. And it's like, really? So we are judging people by their looks, by their haircut. I mean, it just... The clothes just seems ridiculous to me to, 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 to a large extent, but we are mm. still like blind. We have our blind spots, like you were saying. And mm. um, I think we just have to think outside of the box and be yeah. ready to, to these different people and different haircuts and different clothes. Yeah, no, no, for sure. And, and, and as I mentioned, you know, the more we can understand that language of the heart first, the more we can connect from, you know, from a heart centeredness first, I think the more we will transcend those, those, those kind of reactions, right? Um, if I can connect with somebody on a human level first, on a heart-centric level first, um, there's no way I'm going to bring some sort of prejudgment, you know, as the priority to the conversation, right? It's just because, you know, that, that, that's not the language of the heart, you know? So, um, so I think that's something to, um, 
to practice. I mean, I've been trying to practice it more and more uh, throughout over the years, ever since we had that experience back in 2012, especially. But um, yeah, and, and I just and I've seen how it you know, how it changes the dynamic, right, of a conversation, of a relationship, you know, connecting on that level first, it opens the dialogue, it opens the learning experiences, it opens the things that I'm learning about myself, um, versus, you know, just jumping to, you know, like you mentioned with the haircut, okay, if somebody just jumps to a conclusion about it, well, that could shut down the entire, I mean, who knows what they could have learned from that, right, uh, you know, through, through sharing stories, or maybe, you know, you could have taught them something about why you did that, or, you know, uh -huh. the person that, you know, influenced that, like, you know, so, but if we judge based on that, it just shuts down everything, yes. versus if we connect from the heart first, um, it creates this openness. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much talking to, to me here. And it's been a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, I highly recommend your book. It's really well written. Thank oh, you for, thank you, for sharing your experiences, both in your book, but then even more so here in person with you. It's, uh, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, yeah. no, like, likewise. Thank you. I really appreciate um, you having me on. Uh, if people are interested in finding out more, I guess I can give uh, my my website. Um, yes, please do. And I will connect it through my uh, blog post. So, okay. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. So if, if people want to see more, they can just go visit uh, michaelshaw.com. So that's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-S-C-H-A-U-C-H.com. And you can learn more about the book, A Story of Karma. Thank you very much. Take care. Have a good day.